The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to the Mentory TV podcast and thrive with Patricia Falco Becali. Welcome back to another edition here on Mentory TV. Well, I thought we are going to take a little bit of a break from our COVID-19 from crisis to creation series simply because of quite some startling news I would like to get some more analysis on. And that is, I would like to talk about the Houdini of balance sheets, Wirecard. Wirecard, that uh, fintech company, payment company in Germany that kind of made appear about two billion US dollars on their balance sheet and then disappear those two billion US dollars on the balance sheet. So I thought, huh, not only how can that happen, but uh, don't we have any kind of regulators in Germany, BaFin? Don't we have auditors, EY? was there for the company? Don't we have the supervisory board? Don't we have other stakeholders that could just give a little bit of an eye onto what's happening on a corporate level? So ethics, the business of ethics or business with ethics. And for that, to discuss this in more detail, I did invite Christian Dreyer. Now, Christian Dreyer, he is an independent analyst and he used to be the CEO of the Chartered Financial Analyst Society here in Switzerland, boasting over 3,000 chartered CFAs uh, only here in Switzerland. Christian, so good to have you here on the show at such short notice. Thank you. Thank you very much. Been a pleasure to oh, be. It is a pleasure to be here. <laughs> yeah, it is all mine, Christian. What a story! I don't want us to get into details. Uh, maybe I will because I'm a bit of a detail nerd. <laughs> but still, you know, let's talk about ethics. And if I look, and let me just um, share the screen with you. If I look at the CFA website, um, ethics professionalism, um, anything to do with high standards and governance is exactly what your association does promote. So I'm going to quickly share a screen with you where I summed up a couple of, um, a couple of lines that was on the website of the CFA Institute. So why ethics actually matter? So we start from the beginning, we start from you know the, the bird's eye view, and then we'll drill down onto what actually happened at Wirecard and other companies before. Ethics can be defined as a set of moral principles or rules of conduct that provide guidance for our behavior when it affects others. Unethical conduct can damage investor trust. So we'll talk about trust as well, Christian, and thereby impair the sustainability of the global capital markets as a whole. Unfortunately, there seems to be an unending parade of stories bringing to light accounting frauds, manipulations, 
Ponzi schemes, insider trading scandals, and other misdeeds. I stopped sharing now. <laughs> give me a quick, give me a quick analysis of what I just read out. It's uh, very important to me how these kind of high standards are there on paper. Yet, if you mm -hmm. look at the grassroots, we sometimes get a different picture. Mm -hmm. Well, ethics is at indeed at the core. Uh, of the CFA designation. So basically, if you're a, if you're a CFA charter holder, uh, then you are obliged, uh, you are bound by the Code of Ethics and the Standards of Professional Conduct of CFA Institute. Uh, so as a community, uh, we are we do abide uh, by these uh, by this set of standards. Um, at the uh, the punishment, basically, of eventually expulsion uh, as the the uh, for a capital offence. Uh, so if you're found uh, to be in breach. Uh, one of these standards, which, by the way, uh, is, is quite a thick handbook uh, to, to go through. Uh, so if you're found in breach of one of those, uh, then you can be uh, expelled from the uh, association for the, uh, from the institute and, uh, and be, uh, lose the, lose the uh, right uh, to take, uh, use the CFA designation. Um, and that's in a public way. So basically, the, your name is being uh, published uh, in that way. Which, yeah. Uh, which is slightly detrimental to your reputation, I would think. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, you're basically talking about how uh, ethics in, uh, impacts uh, the corporate behavior um, and, uh, and uh, how that is possible in an ethical framework. Uh, things like, uh, like obviously, or probably, uh, uh, Wirecard, like uh, Enron, like Parmalat, uh, etc. Uh, so, um, well, fortunately, uh, I think I can say that, uh, to my knowledge, no CFA charters have been involved in these scandals mm -hmm. in, in, in promoting them. Um, and uh, so, from that point of view, that's that's uh, not uh, uh, not an issue here, uh, at least not in the narrow sense. Uh, but obviously, in the uh, in the wider sense of uh, of being of, of conducting business in an ethical way, and that's a somewhat narrow sense of the ethical way because you don't defraud your customers, you don't defraud your investors, etc. Uh, so that's the, the, the basic sense uh, of this ethic. Of course. Uh, yeah. of course. Let me just quickly interject there because mm. you mentioned right at the beginning, Christian, something that I think is awfully important and that is reputational risk. Mm. Uh, if you risk your reputation, you do tend to risk also, of course, the trust of anybody involved in the financial markets, in the company, or even those that audit, supposed to audit the company. Now, from a bird's eye view, tell me, um, here, quite a few reputations are at risk because you, of course, have the CEO, Mr. Brown of Wirecard, but you have the Bafin. That's the German regulator. It's like the Finma yeah. here in Switzerland yeah. that regulates the financial markets. That is the watchdog. We all, as investors, as business yeah. owners, trust that if they say everything is okay, that it is okay. Mm. Very similar. Well, uh, yeah. well, the... the, uh, the I think we have to differentiate a little bit, uh, as always. <laughs> the The issue is um, uh, the regulated context uh, in a in a uh, in a corporate uh, like Wirecard uh, means that there is no um, there is no direct. Well, the, let me uh, back back up a little bit. Uh, the The purpose uh, of a, of an audit uh, is not uh, to basically discover uh, fraud. 
the purpose of the audit is uh, generally uh, working with the assumption that uh, there is no intention to defraud, uh, but uh, but whether the uh, whether the uh, the representation of the business is uh, is fair is uh, the old wording was true and fair view uh, whether there is a true and fair view uh, presented. But uh, but obviously, if you uh, if you invest criminal energy in defrauding that, uh, then uh, the, the the job of the auditor becomes so much harder. Yes, yeah, I think the the, the question of intention is hugely important. Of course, absolutely, to be neutral, and that neutrality really should show that okay, there is a company, they're doing business. What they're presenting is just really, um, you know, from a governance point of view, you would expect mm-hmm. that company just to operate on the right side of law, but. However, it is exactly those kind of pillars or or linchpins in the system that are also set up, especially after you mentioned before Enron, uh, you mentioned Parmalat, um, um, you know, you you do have Lehman Brothers, we we have the junk bond king. I mean, we have so many past experiences um, that you think that Wirecard in this kind of instance shouldn't happen because if the system in itself has gone through these scandals as of late, their, yeah. the reputational issue is an issue, uh, the trust issue is an issue. So isn't there something fundamentally, I will just call it very, very provocatively rotten in how <laughs> auditing firms are operating? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in the sense of that, uh, that it does not gel with the public expectation of, uh, of some sort of assurance against fraud. Um, and this, this is really, I guess, uh, something that might be changing, uh, because also in the UK there is a, there is an ongoing discussion right now about whether there should be uh, fraud or whether the auditor's job should include uh, detecting fraud. Um, and the, the UK. What do you think? Uh, what do you think? Having been also the CEO of the uh, CFA, should uh, what's that? What do you think? Should it be also the job of the auditors to potentially look for fraud? Um, from an investor's perspective, uh, we would ex- the the natural the the natural inclination basically uh, is that uh, that an audited uh, fun- that audited financial statements uh, should also be fraud free, <laughs> uh, not just not erroneous or something like that. Uh, so I think from that sense, uh, it would probably make a lot of sense uh, to uh, to actually include that in the mandate. Uh, that said, however, uh, this probably would also imply that the auditors would uh, charge <laughs> quite a substantial amount more, uh, um, put more effort uh, into it, uh, become more intrusive uh, also in the uh, in the corporate financial reporting. Uh, but maybe that's not such a bad thing. Also. I was just about to say, maybe that's not so, uh, such a bad thing, Christian, especially mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. long run, uh, mm-hmm. uh, really, because there's nothing worse than what is happening to, to Wirecard, its stakeholders, its shareholders. And talking mm-hmm. of which, you were talking about earlier on, like naming and shaming. Okay, mm-hmm. so you have those people that raise a red flag. And that red flag on Wirecard, they uh, just may fill everybody in a little bit, was raised already in April 2019 with an article, uh, maybe even earlier, but that's the earliest I could dig up. In April 2019, the FTs um, had an article and they were talking about suspicious transaction. In October of uh, last year as well, they said that uh, it seems some of the sales and profits were inflated. And even KPMG, 
uh, got involved and they actually said we audited, but we could not actually conclude if sales or profits were really there for uh, quite a few years, 2016, 17, and 18. Mm-hmm. However, it seems that Ernest Young kind of, kind of went <laughs> ahead. Just one mm-hmm. more thing. Last year, we had SoftBank, the Japanese bank, investing about $1 billion US dollars in Wirecard in a convertible. Convertible means that uh, if they pull out or they can convert that $1 billion into a 6% stake. And they said, they spoke to BaFin, and that is a German regulator, and just took their word that everything was okay at Wirecard as they were. Now, who was negligent here? Who was negligent? Who is really the one accountable, responsible to really drill down if somebody like the FT raises the flag? Mm. Well, let me answer that in a somewhat roundabout way. Uh, First of all, I mean, the FT journalism in that sense uh, has been a stellar piece of of responsible journalism. So applauds for that. Uh, and, uh, (laughs) and, uh, And especially, especially in the face of the attacks that they've seen, uh, very aggressive attacks, both from Wirecard and the German regulatory community. As basically, uh, if I'm not entirely mistaken, Balfin has launched a criminal investigation into the journalists for all for, for, for crying out loud, uh, rather than uh, looking at... Uh, the company and listening for a moment, just saying, hmm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, they... they I think there is, uh, there is uh, that's probably an example uh, of too much corporate trust in the in the German scene, if you will. Uh, so uh, so uh, there there's been uh, the, the, they've been building a, a fortress around uh, the, the wildcard company, which uh, is uh, one of the which was perceived as uh, as one of the German uh, leading companies in that space. Uh, and uh, that's uh, that has been a matter of uh, of, of, of of national pride, maybe, um, if you if you will. And that's uh, that's certainly uh, something that you really have to be careful with, because uh, once you're invested that way, then it's really hard to get out. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> without very severe, without very severe. It, yeah, severe. it really is not. It really is not laughable. You know, you have a you have a company twelve billion US. Uh, no, 12 billion US dollar market cap and just mm-hmm. imploding mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. after it's down about 90, uh, 95, 95% in its share price, you've got the traders in where you've got <laughs> moves of, you know, 200% to the upside. It's mad. Mm-hmm. It's really sad for investors. And it's sad mm-hmm. also for the standards that, that have been tried to not only establish, been established, but, you know, to apply it uh, also. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, Christian, and, and that is conflict of interest. Now, there is one very interesting university professor, Atul Shah. Uh, He's an accounting and finance professor at the City University in London. And he says that there's a fundamental issue with auditing companies. That is your grandpa's clock. I love that. Indeed, indeed. What's the time? <laughs> well, it's a little bit early. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Anachronistic. I love it. Okay. So, and basically he says... Um, that there is a fundamental problem uh, when it comes to uh, uh, auditing companies. There is a conflict of interest because auditing companies have, as their business model, gotten more and more into the advisory business as well, such as what yep. McKinsey is doing. Um, and he thinks this is a conflict of interest. Either you're an auditor, so you're not involved in you know, making the business grow through your advisory, 
mm-hmm. or you're an advisor making it mm-hmm. grow and then whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's clearly, uh, that is clearly a conflict of interest. That's also the reason why uh, the, the company, uh, the auditor cannot uh, take consultative uh, work for the firms that they audit. Uh, so that is uh, that is precluded. That cannot happen. Um, and uh, uh, the, the the other issue is, though, uh, how long can you be an auditor uh, for the firm, um, and uh, will you actually know the uh, the workings uh, of that firm uh, inside out? So it takes a lot of time uh, to get into the business uh, or the business model of the company. And once you're in, then uh, then uh, then you're already due for change again. So there's that rotation issue as well where uh, uh, auditors are expected to rotate every five years or so. Uh, so it, it, it is always a tricky, uh, it's, a, it's a tricky decision. Um, but nevertheless, uh, uh, that, uh, that conflict of interest uh, aspect of the consultative business uh, is certainly a crucial one. And um, the, the, it's, it's hard to say what the recipe is uh, to, uh, to not compromise the auditor's uh, independence. Um, because obviously the competition uh, is also uh, on the, on the downward. It is on a downward spiral, if you will. The price uh, the the price of audits is basically nowadays uh, done on the uh, on the on the bottom line aspect. So how much does an audit cost uh, with your firm? Um, and then uh, they'll obviously apply their usual hourly rates and uh, have an estimate of how many hours does it take uh, to arrive at this. Uh, at this assessment, um, and um, that that's quite easy to see how uh, the pricing uh, for the audits uh, are going down. So, what could be the solution um, when you say you know a lot of companies may not even be able to afford? <clears throat> excuse me, uh, very expensive auditing and all these hours to just mm. make sure that they don't have a reputational risk. I mean, it should get be fast if you are you know playing with uh, with straight cards should it be something that is maybe nationalized rather than uh, being in the hands of private companies that also try to make money that you do not only have the BaFin as you know the regulator but the, also the watchdog i think the, the 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 issue at the core really is that the auditor is paid by the auditee uh, by the audited company um, and then uh, you have an issue uh, that uh, that again it's, it's the same thing like with the rating companies uh, back in the days right uh, uh, the uh, that that opinion is is flawed uh, if you will uh, by the sense that the the uh, the the, uh, the personal that entity that you're looking at uh, is paying for you to look at it um, and the old adage goes that uh, who pays uh, controls what is happening. Who pays, uh, that pays, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Obviously, that cannot happen, or that is uh, at least uh, formally not the case uh, uh, in, this, in this construct, but there is always that temptation uh, for it to happen. Um, and how do you do, deal with it? Uh, the current uh, uh, situation is that you deal with it by having some uh, a powerful auditor uh, supervisor um, supervising company uh, of the of the auditors, uh, which uh, which actually has defined standards uh, that the auditors uh, have to follow, um, and actually prosecutes uh, uh, again the uh, those auditors who are, who fall foul uh, of these. And uh, I think the uh, the uh, uh, the top of the uh, German auditing firm uh, auditing supervisor certainly hasn't become uh, easier now because uh, they will have to. Uh, uh, 
impose much stricter standards. The and the other issue that uh, that is being uh, discussed in uh, in many circles is that uh, maybe it w it is really time uh, to go away from uh, from the uh, that national authority within the EU for uh, for audit firms to be supervised at the national level uh, to be replaced by a, a European auditing uh, supervisor, just like in the US where you have a very powerful and, uh, and aggressive uh, uh, auditing supervisor as well. Uh, so I th th there by that means uh, the distance between uh, the auditing firm on the one hand side and the auditing supervisor on the other uh, will become further away. Uh, mm -hmm. So they're much more at arm's length. Uh, and, and that basically uh, would probably, I know, like would increase uh, the uh, the authority as well of that auditing supervisor. Yeah, it is true. The Americans are a little bit more aggressive, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I think communication and but dialogue... But did not prevent Enron. Exactly. <laughs> I would, it would have, that was my next line, I said, but <laughs> still, you know, <laughs> and then since yeah, then the financial yeah, crisis. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is my, my next question, Christian. You know, let's be empathetic and put ourselves into the shoes of the investor. So... Mm -hmm. I would come to you say, look, you, you are charting these financial analysts. They're going to get their, you know, Gütesiegel, they stamp that they are trustworthy people. Who can I really trust as an investor uh, right now? Um, mm -hmm. Who would you send me to? Quis custodet istos custodies, who basically supervises those supervisors, etc. Now, uh, the, the, who can you trust is really a matter of... Uh, it's 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 a tricky it's a, tr a difficult question ultimately it's a matter of uh, uh, of trusting the individuals uh, that you're working with uh, of uh, of uh, trusting their background trusting their interest uh, of having your interest in mind uh, so having full disclosure about what uh, what actually drives them what motivates them etc that is certainly uh, crucial uh, but uh, when it comes to investing, uh, there's very little uh, that can uh, uh, that that is better than doing your own homework, uh, essentially, and understanding yeah, yeah. what you're investing in. So sure. it's still we're we're still in a in a capitalist system where uh, where the buyer beware uh, beware yes mm -hmm. uh, uh, actually counts. But so, then again, me as a buyer, I look at the auditing, I look at the okay from the bathroom, I look at all the authorities that claim yeah, that yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but, but still, but still, look, uh, you also uh, need to look at the spectrum of, uh, of analyst opinions, for instance. That's something that I always like doing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there were a couple of uh, uh, analysts who had a, a price target of zero. Uh, with with Wirecard uh, for an extensive period of time because they just couldn't uh, make sense of it uh, and they were ultimately proven right. Amazing, um, amazing. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and uh, everybody kind of chose to ignore, or a lot of people chose to ignore, considering that Wirecard entered the DAX, kicking out Commerzbank at some point. <laughs> so I guess. Uh, yeah, no, it's crazy. It absolutely is crazy, uh, but. Uh, uh, I just uh, saw an article or an interview with one of those analysts um, uh, who uh, who basically said that uh, he was looking at their financial statements uh, all the time. He was looking at the statements that uh, the the CEO was making 
etc. And uh, he was using all, uh, very many buzzwords uh, all the time with uh, with a very little uh, apparent uh, deep understanding of what was going on. Uh, and then the numbers didn't really add up, especially with those trustee accounts. Um, so uh, basically what it boiled down to is for them, uh, there were a set of red flags uh, which were unresolved uh, over the years. Um, and that led them to that, uh, to that assessment of Wirecard being a non-value uh, mm-hmm. uh, from an investment perspective. Yeah, and um, coming back to the conflict of interest issue, uh, you know, what I figured a little bit also, Christian, is that um, you talk about the supervisors of the supervisors or the supervisors mm-hmm. of the auditors. Many times, those are actually filled with X. The for auditing companies. Again, okay. you know, they might have old cronies, it's the networking, um, mm-hmm. you know, you just don't kind of backstab anybody in your industry. So, ah, oh, <laughs> It is, it is. But like I said, uh, it's important to actually uh, have these structures in place and fortify the structures as well, uh, uh, create an environment where the supervisor of the auditors has an interest uh, in being strict with its uh, supervisees um, and, and not be uh, cr- uh, too chummy uh, with, uh, with them. Uh, so that is, uh, that is certainly uh, uh, absolutely the incentive. Crucial. That's, that's yeah. exactly it. That's exactly yeah. it. And I think, uh, and I want to ask you that one, Christian, how is this going to play out, you think, in... in, in the- well, first of all, obviously, obviously we need to learn what actually has happened. Uh, that will probably take a lot of time. But I would not be surprised at all, actually, if the initial uh, business model, the initial ideas were sound uh, and then um, we started off with the ethical uh, context right um, I would not be surprised if uh, they started off with a sound business model with a sound uh, setup uh, but then got overtaken by the by success uh, they uh, used some shortcuts uh, nobody complained about those shortcuts uh, not, and nobody understood the shortcuts <laughs> uh, uh, and then uh, they went from uh, from an initial small shortcut to bigger shortcuts um, and that, again still nobody questioned them uh, until somebody did big time yeah yeah, yeah. and i think what you were saying earlier on also with the analysts what i mentioned with the um, ft journalists that anybody mm. looking to invest in a company like wirecard or any kind of company companies um it is uh, really a multitude of sources you need to look at and if there's conflicting yep. messages coming through that means first red flag and it means drilling down deeper maybe on where the information is from and yep. you know what is perhaps the objective of communicating it mm-hmm. so uh, uh, one of my um last questions on Wirecard, and then I would like to talk a little bit more about you, Christian, yourself, is um, if you were in charge hmm, on a European level, who would you make accountable for this fiasco in Germany that is a fiasco not only for a Wirecard, but the financial industry, for the fintech companies, um, and ultimately also for Germany as a country, as a secure and trusted hub where you can invest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you would have to probably split uh, who, if it was a clear case of fraud, uh, then it's it's the fraudsters uh, for sure uh, who would be accountable and uh, who 
actually it would be good to have somebody uh, of those uh, eventually ending up in jail. Uh, very often, uh, white collar crime does not go to jail, uh, and, uh, and that's that's a, a horrendous thing because every common thief uh, actually will end up in jail, uh, but the uh, the white collar ones don't. Uh, so that that I find highly uh, disturbing. From, from, again, an ethical perspective. Um, but the going forward aspect, so that's the, the accountability, the backward-looking uh, uh, sense of accountability uh, element, and that would be the firm uh, itself. Going forward, uh, it's about strengthening uh, the framework uh, of, uh, of audit firms, of supervisory firms, uh, buffing, obviously, with the bank, uh, with Wirecard Bank being responsible for that, uh, is, is also the question, uh, how you can actually uh, support uh, these structures, and it probably would make sense uh, that uh, that uh, the uh, the European uh, entity would become responsible uh, for the audit uh, supervision. Given that uh, that uh, some of the uh, probably the uh, the most crucial entities uh, that were responsible that were instrumental uh, in this fraud were outside of Germany, yeah. uh, so. Uh, so yeah, the, I think that's probably what what I were uh, to look at, what I would do if I were to look at. Yeah, no, I, th I think there's uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of very very good points uh, you are making there. And mm -hmm. um, in terms of you know what makes life worth living, if you had the chance, so looking back, or you do have the chance, looking back at your professional at your professional life, uh, Christian, mm -hmm. what are the key learnings you would want to pass on, uh, be it in your modus operandi? Randy, what you've learned, um, let's say up to three. <laughs> hmm. um, so uh, that, that is obviously a very general uh, question. Um, I think the, uh, the important part is obviously uh, having a very good at education. Uh, on that side, uh, I'm very happy with that. Uh, another uh, very important part is having a broad, uh, broad network with different layers uh, of network uh, that are actually operational. Um, and there you can also use uh, your, your professional organizations, uh, the, the volunteer engagement, etc., with uh, with these kinds of uh, uh, with these kinds of organizations, because it's not just in the strict uh, commercial environment uh, where you're active. Personally, I think uh, where uh, I would invest uh, even more time in uh, in re really is uh, is managing uh, personal relationships uh, more uh, in that specific commercial uh, relationship as well. So that's uh, that's certainly something that I um, I've learned over the last couple of years that uh, that this always pays uh, to uh, to invest more time in that relationship aspect uh, rather than the, the, the strictly uh, commercial business uh, aspect. So it's deeper values there as well. Yeah, it's, uh, I think, it, I mean, even from a, from a, from a personal uh, perspective, it's much harder uh, for, for your opposite side uh, to, to stab you in the back uh, if they know you. <laughs> <laughs> True, trust. <laughs> yeah. 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 
No, that's great. Um, Christian, thank you so much for joining me so quickly here on Mentory TV on that issue when it comes to Wirecard representing really a broader issue, and that is good corporate governance uh, and also the entire question of who is auditing who, the check and balance system, accountability, and how basically, you know, you can create two billion US dollars and you can have them disappear again despite all of our, you know, linchpins we're trying to put in that if they're pulled the system falls back into place but it's uh, it's a really difficult one so thank you so much for your analysis Christian. Pleasure. By the way uh, you, you started off saying that co uh, we, you wanted to get away from the COVID. Uh, I wanted to take a break of that. <laughs> yeah but actually uh, you, I, it might not be such a, such a far distance because uh, very often times in times of crisis uh, these are the time slots when uh, uh, when fraud cases actually become apparent uh, because everything else changes uh, and then uh, some questions are raised that in normal day-to-day -day operations would not be uh, 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 raised. So but I think there are the, the outgoing uh, the, the outgoing app basically shows you who is uh, swimming without their uh, bath suits on. Yeah, <laughs> make it. well, Christian, that's a very good point. And thank you very much for putting this in. And if, uh, as you were just saying, you know, um, Wirecard in, in some some respect shows really there is a crisis perhaps in the system and we need to recreate it. So thank you. Indeed. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you as well, dear Mentorate TV community, for joining us yet again here on the channel for another episode. Well, this time I did chat to Christian Dreyer. Make sure to continue to comment on the show. Tell me what you would like to see. Um, well, if you have got great guests you want me to, you know, reach out to, I will do that for you. So thanks so much for being with us here, and I see you soon next time. Bye. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.